Good morning, everybody, wherever you are. Uh, it's really good to uh, be able to provide you a, pod a podcast. I'll get it out in a minute uh, today. And today's topic is going to be uh, Danny Rains. Imagine, imagine that. You know, a little while back, I kind of announced my retirement. And uh, I've got fussed at quite a bit by a lot of people saying, we sure don't want you to quit completely. And I said, well, I won't quit completely, but I, I got tired of airports and TSA and a lot of traveling and staying gone two or three, four or five days at a time. I said, I'm just too old for that. <laughs> so uh, I have limited myself, but I, I'm far from quitting for sure. Uh, and I do kind of pick and choose. And then I assign out other things for my company. So, uh, I'll be with you for a while, I guess, until the good Lord takes me home anyway. So it is good to be here. And I just wanted everyone to know that right up front. Uh, today uh, is an article that should be in the next edition, I guess. It's called Danny Rains by Danny Rains. And uh, the, all of this, this came from suggestions by many to uh, write a book. And I actually have the manuscript right here in front of me. The first book I have ever written, authored, I guess you could say, is 35,000 words as we speak, 35,640 to be exact. And it's taken several months to write it. And I'm talking to publishers now, trying to figure out how to get it out and either in an audio version or a paperback is what I'm look, looking for. So, but inside that book, that article, there's two stories. I want to share with you today and hopefully there'll be lessons learned because it was for me back in those days and this has been a while back and you'll see in the article both of these incidents happened not too far apart and it was probably you know some of the greatest lessons I ever learned uh, when it comes to doing line work covering up uh, the, the the safety side of the work the skills part of it you know, everybody gains that skill by actual, actual repetition. And so, but everything is learned behaviors when it comes to taking care of ourselves as we're doing the work. Uh, there's a lot of varied opinions out there as to just how much of this I need to do. And you fill in the blank, whether it's grounding or whether it's switching orders and how do I write them or how much to cover do I need to safely do this job? And boy, I have some really interesting conversations with customers. I'm about to go to, where am I going? I'm going to Cayman Islands, I think, to do um, distribution cover up and system grounding. And I'm going to Colorado to do system grounding, train the trainer for a company there. So it seems like, you know, the things that really gets us in trouble is the paragraph L, M, and N in 1910-269. And, and that is, you know, minimum approach, distribution cover-up, okay? And then M is switching and tagging, de-energizing for the protection of the employee. And N is system grounding. Well, today I'm gonna talk about cover-up because these two issues here are cover-up issues. Uh, there was a time when I, made lineman. I had been, I had been a journeyman for probably a little over a year. I had gone to Jonesboro, Georgia and Jonesboro district of Macon division at the old Macon division. That's back when before we had regions at Georgia power and 
was awarded a journeyman position. So I was up there for a few months and then I bid back to Macon. Well, when I bid back to Macon, I bid back to a job, to a crew that was uh, known for its big jobs. And uh, I wound up eventually on John Lane's crew, one of the, one of the best people I've ever worked for. And uh, I, I, you know, I really, he's gone now. I miss him a lot. We, we did a lot together, flew airplanes and bowled and, and, and just done a lot of things together. But anyway, this particular job uh, was not unusual. It was a large job. There were about five spans out of South Macon substation on 7th Street in Macon, Georgia, there was a double circuit of four alt copper. And that double circuit, it was on arms and it went for probably almost a mile down 7th Street. And then one circuit kept going straight and the other one made a right-hand turn and went up a side street and then went on and fed another part of the town. Well, lo and behold, they wanted to take that four alt, that double circuit of four alt copper out and replace it with one circuit of 750 MCM, uh, the triple AC wire. And I said, well, that's going to be a big job. We didn't hardly have to change out any poles because all the poles were in pretty good shape and we had plenty of clearance. So then, you know, any SC codes and specifications were met. And all we really had to do was use double layout arms and set out both four alt circuits out to give us enough room to pull in uh, the 750. And we went from flat on the two four alts to a double wood arms to uh, a vertical construction. So that seemed to make it a little bit easier. Well, everything went well. It took a little while, it took a few days for us to, uh, the other lineman on the crew with me at the time was Ed Lunsford, which he's now retired. He still lives down near Gray, Georgia. And uh, Chalk I, <laughs> we all had names, you know, everybody has nicknames uh, because he was from uh, near a chalk mine over near Milledgeville, Georgia. And Ed Lunsford and I worked together for a long time and Ed taught me a lot about line work. He was just one of those guys. If you needed to, if you needed a different idea about something or you, he had an idea about something, you need to listen to him. And I learned that right away. <laughs> so uh, we started out and both of us working together because it take both buckets on every pole to set all six of those four alt coppers out. And it was just, it was just a big job. We moved out, we put a, a and we didn't have the, the fiberglass layout arms back then. We had wood arms. And all we did was take a half a wood arm and drill holes in the existing arm on the pole, bolt it to it, and move at least one or two phases out and then move the inside phase to the outside of the arm. That way, we did that on both sides of the pole and it gave us plenty of room to pull the 750 through the middle. And so this, this took a little while. It, uh, it was several days later that uh, we had everything in, had all the blocks in, P-lines in them, uh, and they was, we were like a four or five man crew on, on a normal day, but whenever we would pull wire, we'd have a tensioner and a puller and a whole bunch of other equipment. And so we would go recruit another two or three people from, you know, another crew say, okay, we're going to pull wire today. So let's, we need some help. 
So we got the puller, the tensioner, we got it all pilot line set up because we had to set the pilot line up to pull in the bull line to pull in the wire. So we got all that equipment set up and it was all ready to go. And we started pulling. And uh, we got the first phase in, got the second phase in, the middle phase, and then the bottom phase on the vertical pull, uh, we got it pulled in. And that's where I made a mistake. I made two mistakes, really. And one, when the wire got in, I was, I was there at the, pull, at the puller. Ed was at the tensioner. Um, when the puller pulled the end of that 750, and I let them go about two and a half to three feet beyond the dead end on that last block. And what I tried to do at this time was, and it worked the first two times, but it just didn't work this time. I would tape that tail to a down guy because we had a guy on every one of those, every one of the, the phase dead ends. Underneath that eye bolt, we put a, a, a down guy to hold that pole because we didn't want anything. We didn't want anything moving anywhere. We wanted to stay. So I would let it go through the block and I'd let it pull down and then I would tape it. And then I'd take a set of ratchet cutters and cut it. And then of course the tail would fall to the ground clear. And then I would dead end the wire. Okay. In the dead end shoe. And this was not a preform. I mean, this was really a dead end shoe. It's a straight clamp, not an A clamp. And uh, then I'd fold the tail back and then cover everything up and then put a ground on it. So, and, and basically that's, uh, that's the way it went for the first two. But the third one, when I, when I let it go through the block and I got it taped over there, uh, apparently either I didn't put enough tape on it or I should have I tied it off with a collar rope or a piece of tie wire. I should have I secured it better is the bottom line. And that's my first mistake. So I didn't secure the tail. And if you'll look in the standard, there's even a new part of the standard. And of course, it's not because of me, but I think it's happened in other places where it says, you know, that you must have control. Okay. Well, I thought I did. So I taped it to the guy and I went over there and took my ratchet cutters and cut it. And when I cut it, the tape broke, the tail swung out. And you can see uh, we got... I had to, you know, deaded it in. So we had probably six or seven feet of tail because it was three feet beyond the pole. And that daggum thing swung out. And I only had, this is my second mistake. This is when I do cover-up training. Now people ask me, well, Danny, why do you do this? This is why. <laughs> if I'd have had two guts on every one of those old phases down there, there was, you know, there was six, six four all coppers underneath me hot mechanical jumpers everywhere i mean it was just a mess and i only put one well guess what there was more tail than there was gut and it swung out from the dead end the dead end shoe and basically of course it's grounded because we pulled it in grounded and ed had already did it in his and put a ground on it so when it swung out there it went out past the gut, that one single gut, about six inches or a foot, and burp, locked the breaker out. Of course, the first thing I thought of was Ed, because he's down there on the other end. And I said, what was he doing? Of course, we were, we were very good about cover-up and grounding, and we were very good about PPE. Nothing happened to anybody, but, you know, for a split second, 
every block all the way down that street for almost a mile came hot. It was 7,200. Of course, the, the system safety ground locked the breaker out because we had it on one shot and nothing happened. So from that point on, of course, John Lane looked at me and he said, you know what you did wrong, son? I said, yes. I mean, I'd only been a lineman for a year or two and I was learning. Of course, I'm still learning today, 50 years later. <laughs> I still learn things today because uh, as I travel around the country, I find everybody doesn't do the same thing every time. But anyway, at, at, at the end of that story, I learned that cover-up was much more important than I had given it credit for. And two, never to try to tape a big piece of wire to control it when you should have it in a different scenario. You should have a tie wire or a collar rope or a P-line or something to where it's tied in and it can't move. So that's the first of the two stories that you'll, you'll read about in the next edition of IP. And the next one was, um, there's another lineman and I, well, matter of fact, John Lane was on vacation that day. And uh, uh, I think Ed was being blue slipped as foreman, I believe if I remember correctly. And there was another lineman in the other bucket with me named Gene Conger. And Gene and I had worked together off and on. Matter of fact, we had a running rivalry going on because uh, he had just a little bit of company time on me. And back then seniority was everything. It's when you came to work, that's determined when you made lineman, you know, or when you chose to be lineman. And then you were upgraded. And once you got you, your journeyman classification, you know, you were on your way. So Gene was always a step or two ahead of me. So he was a senior lineman that day. And I, we had, uh, we went in that morning and found out, you know, Ed was going to be blue slipped and to foreman. And so, well, what we're going to do, well, we're going to go cut a set of 1200 amp gang switches in on some 750. We never got small chops. Uh, and it was in between two, uh, riser poles, 1000 MCM riser poles, go feeding a, a big, big company out on the east side of Macon. And what they wanted to do was cut that set of gang switches in there. And we had made a loop on underground with an SNC switching cubicle to give them uh, two feeds and put some automatic switching gear in there. So our job was to go in the middle of those two uh, riser poles and cut a set of gang switches in where they could switch things around and then have that as a normal open point. So we went out that morning, we had a set of 1200 amp switches, which was, you know, no, it was not, we do, we did stuff like this all the time. So it was nothing neat. So we went out there and set the job up, laid the phases out, hung the switch. Okay. And got it semi-adjusted, got the operating rod in it, got everything done. And then, of course, um, as when we got the everything in place, we started cutting the phases in. So at this time, we had to keep it hot. So we put, you know, we caught it off both ways, put a mechanical jumper on it, cut it, did it in B phase first in the middle, number two, and then we went to the two outside phases, got both of them done, and um, got the got the jumpers made up from the dead end shoes over to the switches and then operated the switches, made sure they worked good, they were adjusted correctly, you know, closed the switch, locked the handle, made sure everything was in good, and then took our mechanical jumpers off and we were done. 
So we looked at each other and said, another job well done. Thank you. And that was normal. Well, everything went well that day. And that was from the first thing that morning to probably around, uh, so I don't know, somewhere around 2, 2.30. And then, and then we got that inevitable call that I think everybody gets said sometime or another. On your way back in, I have this run by for you to do. Well, those run bys can wind up being very easy or they can be very, very treacherous. And this one right here turned up, it almost killed me. I mean, this is the worst flash I've ever had. I mean, I've you know had some incidents that was away from me, but this one was in front of me. And I can still hear it, I can still feel it, and I can still, it, it, it still, it left an indelible memory in my, in my brain, you know, how important it was to, to pay attention to detail. So what, what happened here, we left a very difficult job that went very well. And all we had to do was take the slack out of a primary. And I don't know where this engineer went to school, but he rolled a flat uh, dead end to a vertical pull-off. In other words, it rolled and the span was only about 30 feet long. In other words, they couldn't guide the pole that the pull-off would have normally been on because it was right at an intersection. They didn't want to pull a span guy across the road. So they did it in 30 feet away, 20 feet away, whatever it was, and deaded it in there and just slack spanned it over to the mainline pole. And the mainline pole was vertical. The dead end pole was flat. So what had happened, somebody, somewhere, they made two mistakes. One, they didn't put the guy down correctly. They didn't offset that guy enough to keep that slack span, the pole straight, the pole leaned a little bit. And then that, that was letting the phases get together if the wind blew hard. Well, we got over there and looked at it and said, who we, and it was, you talking about slack, it was slack. So I told Gene, I said, well, no, we can't put jack straps on it. We can't, I said, here's, let's do this. So we talked it over and we did. And what, what the plan was, was to rubber up the steel arm on the flat dead end. And then I would take the drench, the wrench. And at that time to show you how old this is, it was not hydraulic. It was air wrenches, Chicago pneumatic. And I took that air wrench on that three quarter nut on that, on that slack span clamp. And it was a vertical setup. The slack span insulator was sitting vertical and the clamp, the clamp was hanging down so low, it was almost touching the bottom of the skirts. Well, I eased up there and put a blanket, a split blanket around the post type insulator or the slack span insulator. And then Gene was going to hold the face. I was going to slack the nuts off the clamp. And all we had to do was just slide that conductor through that clamp, probably six inches to no more than 10 inches. And we would have had it um, secured. And that way there would not be enough slack for it to get in trouble. So everything went well. I, I put a split blanket on there and we looked at it. Gene got out there, picked up the phase just a little bit with his hands and was holding it. I, I eased that clamp up and got it out flat where I could get the wrench on there. And I was watching him to, to my right. And I eased that socket onto that three quarter nut on that clamp. And I didn't pay any attention. What happened when I put that split blanket on there, I left the corner of that steel arm sticking out of that split blanket, just a quarter of an inch. Well, 
when I put the wrench on there, I, I let it slip back toward the arm. And when I did, the, I was contacting the phase, 7,200 volts, and it contacted the arm, a steel arm. It was a, it was a, a six foot buck arm, steel buck arm. And of course it, it was not good. And what I found out later, what, why it didn't hurt me as any worse than what it did. I mean, it caused us, we stripped all the skirts off the slack span insulator. Uh, Gene and I both had a gut full of, uh, and a chest full of, of glass from the insulator skirts. And of course the fireball was big enough that the people on the ground couldn't even see us in the fireball. It was just two bucket trucks, booms going into the fire and smoke. And it locked a breaker out. We were four spans from the substation. Um, we had a one shot on it. And I think back in those days, the, it was an instantaneous operation. It was zero and two was the normal setting. So when the one shot was put on there, it was an instantaneous operation with about 8,000 amps of available fault current. And of course that was enough to ruin my day and jeans. And I received a, a, a burn, a second degree burn, small second degree burn between my rubber glove cuff and my t-shirt I had on, because back then there was no FR. This happened in 73, four, somewhere along in there. And uh, what really saved us, and I, you know, I've, I've learned a lot as time went on, and now I teach art flash, and, and what, in my memory of what happened and what science tells me should happen just didn't match up. And now then I figured it out. The fire was everywhere but the contact with the wrench just completed the circuit. The real fireball happened at the buck arm gain on the pole, which was about three or four feet away from me. And of course, when it, what happened, ever who framed that pole let the pole ground get up, he was grounding a guy and he let that pole ground get under that steel gain on that steel arm. And the, the, the real fireball was five feet away. That's why I didn't get burned any worse than what I did. I had a first degree burn on the side of my cheek. I had, I had glasses on, but they were not safety glasses. I just had sunglasses on, hard hat, 18 inch cuff, class two rubber gloves. And of course, no, no art rated FR. So could have been a whole lot worse. Uh, but as a result of that, you know, we, we had a little investigation. And of course it was my fault because I, I left the corner of that day gum. Um, uh, steel arm exposed and then I didn't watch what I was doing with the wrench and it got against it and caused the fire and nothing other than embarrassment and a little bit of a burn which I got over no, no scarring no nothing but like I said now that's one of the reasons I have a passion for cover-up now uh, I know I go around the country everywhere with Wayne Harden and several other people that work with us at uh, my little company, my consulting company, and we we teach this. And the, the reason we teach this is because of those kinds of lessons right there. All of this can be avoided. It's a hazardous job all the time, but it's a uh, it's it's a it's it's a dangerous job when you don't dot the i's and cross the t's. And hopefully, this little experience or this little talk, you might have learned something or heard something in there. That uh, that you may take away from here. This one little one little nugget of information could save your life. So it's been fun talking with you this morning. I think my time is about up. I've been on for almost 25 minutes now, 
and that's usually what I'm limited to. And they start throwing rocks at me. No, they don't really. <laughs> but, but I, th I think what the industry's figured out that I can't keep your attention, but for about 20, 25 minutes. So that's why we limit these things, but it's been good. It's been fun. I hope you have a great day and a great weekend. And if I can ever help you in any way, please give me a call. Uh, I think uh, Nick will put on the contact information somewhere on this podcast that you can call me and my phone number and my email, and I'll be glad to help you anytime. If I can ever share anything with you, keep you safer than what you are, I'll be glad to. So thank you. God bless. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>